everyone. Welcome to the Growth Maestros podcast by Mo Engage. I'm your host, Megan White, and I head up the North America marketing team here at Mo Engage. If you're not familiar with our growth series, it's aimed at fostering a community of marketers and product owners to share insights and industry experiences with the goal of allowing all audiences to be able to gain knowledge and put these learnings into practice. So I'm very excited to talk about today's session, which is going to cover overcoming communication clutter, maximizing inbox placements and leveraging consumer data. And so today we're going to hear these lessons from Scott's Miracle Grows company based on their awesome email marketing strategy. And so just to give some context before we kick off the podcast, post pandemic, there's obviously been a surge in, um, you know, different challenges in, in, in the world and a lot of people moving online, a lot of people engaging with brands online. And so as a result of this, um, you know, some brands have increased their engagement efforts in order to really stay on top of user minds and increase usage. And one of the more, you know, communication channels that are more common nowadays, of course, are email. And so email has been around for, you know, several years. Marketers still find that email is such a reliable communication channel to engage with their audiences. And with the pandemic, this channel is being used like never before. Our inboxes are being flooded with communications from brands and merchants spanning several verticals and industries. And so it's very important for us to talk about email marketing strategies within this time, but also post-pandemic, just knowing that certain behaviors that have been picked up during the pandemic are going to likely be here to stay with us. So how can brands yield maximum inbox placements by cutting through the clutter and also leverage user data to better target and engage users? And so there is no one better than to discuss this topic than Amanda. She is the CRM and consumer data manager for Scott's Miracle Grow, a brand that most of us are very familiar with and one that's flourished during the pandemic due to its innovative campaigns, brilliant IP warming strategies, creative off-season content, and effective data analysis. So with that, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, Amanda. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So, you know, we've known the Scott brand for, you know, quite some time, but for our listeners tuning in today, could you just give us a brief introduction to your company as well as just your role and um, maybe share an interesting use case that you've resolved in your career so far? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So my name is Amanda Skarnecchia. I'm the CRM and consumer data manager at Scott's Miracle Grow. I've been with the company for about three years now. I manage everything from our email and SMS programs, from the strategy to execution to reporting. I'm also responsible for maintaining a clean data in our lists and acquiring new subscribers year over year. Um, The Scott's Miracle Grow Company is an industry-leading family of CPG brands in the lawn and garden space in U.S. and Canada. We aim to inspire and motivate gardeners and lawn enthusiasts, whether you're a beginner or an expert. We want everyone to be able to take their piece of the earth and make it whatever they hope it to be. So interesting uh, use case. Um, I have to put a plug in for the CRM work that I helped to set up earlier this year for our Scott's Miracle Grow Super Bowl commercial. Uh, Being that the Super Bowl is one of the largest stages for marketing in the U.S., it was one of those once-in-a-lifetime projects that I was really lucky to work on. Um, This was Scott's first Super Bowl commercial in history. And so, of course, we were using this not only as a brand building campaign, but we also use this as a sweepstakes to collect 1P data and launch our SMS program. 
So I was responsible for setting up the strategy for the data collection uh, and the multi-touchpoint welcome journey for consumers who entered in through the sweepstakes. We found out that we were running a Super Bowl commercial right around mid-December. So when you think about the timing of game day, which is uh, early February, we had less than eight weeks to execute before game day. So we were in a time crunch and not only the biggest challenge that I've ever faced as a marketer, but also within a super tight deadline. So the process was entirely worth it though, when you see the reward of the commercial being on the big screen and coming to life on, on game day. I, I can't even imagine um, the, the stress and pressure that must have been to get that out on time, but, but congrats, that's a huge achievement. Thanks, thank you. Before we get into uh, the Q&A, um, you know, obviously there's been a lot of challenges with the pandemic and just kind of curious if there's one, you know, productivity hack that you may have picked up during quarantine that you'll be carrying with you this year and, and maybe even into next year. Sure. Yeah. So this might sound a little bit on the basic side, but it has been working for me. So I'm going to share um, one thing I've noticed during the pandemic and, and I'm working remote. A lot of people are still working remote. Yep. There's just this increase in a in number of meetings on my calendar just to stay connected with people, to understand what's going on. We're moving very quickly. It's marketing. Um, but you think about when you were in the office and those the short hallway conversations you were able to have with people when you pass them by. Um, but you don't have that anymore when you're working remote. So there's this increase in meetings and, and trying to resolve questions via other ways of communication. Um, so with the shift, I've kind of been doing more documentation of campaigns and projects I work on, almost as like a playbook for reference with, with stakeholders. So I'll build out something really quick, like a Google slide deck with visuals and links out to other important material. And what I've noticed is it's it's beneficial not only to share with our stakeholders anytime they might have a question on a project we're working on, but it's also been helpful when we have new hires joining while we're all working remote. They're able to kind of reference that material as well, and they don't have to set up additional meetings. Um, I've also seen like this has been a great starting point, like having a deck or having a playbook to work from instead of starting from scratch when you're running another campaign that might be a similar play. Um, so it seems really basic, but kind of just having some extra visuals and, and creating a quick and scrappy deck um, to have to share out, you know, while we're all working remote has, has been a, a better way of communicating our efforts and work that we've been doing. I really love that. And, and you know, it's funny, I, I found myself doing something similar naturally, um, just because you're right, it's just so hard to, to have that collaboration when you're in a remote environment. And um, you know, when you're next to someone, you can obviously share what you're working on, show them what you're working on, but being able to have, you know, almost like a playbook that you can digitally share, uh, I imagine that's come in very helpful. So that's a great tip. Yep, thanks. So, um, yeah, let's get started. Let's talk a little bit about, um, really, you know, how your business has performed during the pandemic. I recognize that there are likely a lot more people who are doing activities at home um, compared to maybe where they once were. I mean, I know for sure I've I found myself um, taking up new hobbies that I haven't necessarily ever done in the past. And I have to imagine that um, there's going to be a lot of gardeners who are going to want to spend time on their gardens, but also maybe some avid gardeners as well. So I'd love to kind of hear a little bit about just how your business has performed and 
you know, from an email perspective, maybe what kind of campaigns have worked for you so far in the last year or so? Yep, you're absolutely right. You know, during this pandemic and this time of uncertainty, uh, consumers are stuck at home. They're looking for activities, hobbies, projects, exactly what you were saying. Um, many consumers are also looking to, for something to keep their mind occupied or provide peace and solace during the times. It's been difficult. Um, and so throughout the pandemic, the lawn and garden industry really has flourished. Scott's miracle Grow has been in business for over 150 years, and last year has been our highest performing year of all time. We're continuing to see growth going into this season as well. Um, and there are three specific trends that we've kind of noticed and we've tried to lean into for our brands during the pandemic um, as part of our content strategy that has helped us to drive engagement with our emails and also uh, product revenue on our e-commerce sites. So breaking down what those three trends are that we've seen. Number one, as you mentioned, we have seen consumers dedicate themselves to being outside in their outside space, in their yard, um, at home. And this could include anything from lawns, gardens, your patio space, really improving what your outdoor space looks like. Um, there, was a, there was an influx of new consumers in our lawn and garden category this past year, um, hoping to learn and try gardening and upping their lawn care game. Um, for the first time. So one thing that we had to think about was we needed to encourage these consumers to make their backyard their outside oasis and make sure that these lawn care and gardening newbies, it, it could be very intimidating to, to start a hobby in, in gardening and lawn care, but simplifying our content in a way that's helpful, that provides um, really small bits of information that's helpful tips, 101 back to basics information that really anyone could participate in the category and, and find some level of success. We provided consumers with easy and inspirational weekend projects, um, something that they could do to try to improve their outdoor space, whether that is something as simple as adding mulch to your landscape or refreshing your patios. You know, every spring people clean their patios up um, to even like planting a, a small garden in, in containers. So starting as simple as one container and having a garden in that container. So that was kind of trend number one that we leaned into. Trend number two, uh, we noticed we noticed victory gardens coming back as a trend. So what is a victory garden? It's a term for a garden that was grown specifically to produce food. Um, it dates way back to World War I days. So during the pandemic, consumers might have been getting their food delivered from grocery stores or restaurants, but people were also supplementing that with growing their own food from their victory gardens at home, whether that's growing salads, lettuces, tomatoes, herbs, uh, really anything that you can think about growing for food, uh, people were doing it. And when you think about harvest season, as that came around, we leaned into kind of our cause initiative with, about giving back to the community. Uh, so we provided options for consumers to share their additional harvest at local food pantries. That's really great. Yeah. And so that was trend number two, this victory gardens. So trend number three, uh, consumers with children. So anybody that has kids at home also knows that, you know, keeping kids busy and excited and having activities for them to do, not just 
fun activities, but also educational activities, um, especially in the summer when schools are out. Summer camps have been closed, pools closed, a lot of places where kids have gone before to just um, have fun and do activities were closed or there were just heavy restrictions. So parents were really looking for options of what are some projects or activities that kids can do at home. So we created a content series of what we call outside adventures, and we created a set of 10 for our different brands. So 10 for our miracle Grow brand, 10 for our Scott's brand. Um, and we sent them out as emails, and really they featured kid-friendly outdoor projects that parents and kids could do together, um, or kids that are older could do on their own. Um, and it was a way for kids to also get into the backyard. And I think with this, we also hope that this helps to encourage the next generation of gardeners to, to get started early. So these are the, the three trends that, um, and the types of content that really worked for us as a brand to break those boundaries of, of competing for that inbox space and, and getting into, uh, getting in front of consumers within the inbox. I love those because I think it just points back to, you know, continuing to put the customer first and, you know, so many brands um, during the pandemic may not necessarily have pivoted their strategy. They may have continued status quo and, and that could work for some certainly, but I think for others, you know, it was just such an interesting time that everyone had to adapt and change to. And for you to really be um, thinking about it from the consumer lens, whether it's, you know, what are they currently doing? Or like, for example, family activities or growing food, maybe because they couldn't find food locally in their grocery store, or maybe they didn't feel comfortable going to a grocery store. I just think that's so um, impressive to be able to pivot so quickly and, and have a strategy that again, puts your customer first. So thank you for sharing those trends with us. Yeah, um, absolutely. So yeah, another, another question uh, that I would have for you, uh, recognizing um, when it comes to email deliverability. Marketers generally have a challenge with this. Most marketers have a challenge with this. Um, when it comes to, to yourself or, or Scott's miracle Grow, um, I recognize that there could be possibly a seasonal uh, exchange here, maybe some seasonality challenges uh, to overcome when it comes to maybe either deliverability hurdles or you know, other, other sorts of challenges. Could you just talk a little bit about maybe what strategies in terms of like IP warm up or creative off season content that you were able to implement to overcome this? Yeah. So deliverability is to the inbox is super important in the email world. If you can't deliver to the inbox, nothing really else matters, not the content strategy, not your audience segmentation, really nothing. So I always think deliverability is super important. Um, and you hit the nail on the head when you talked about our seasonal businesses and the challenge that we face with having a seasonal business in, in terms of deliverability. So every single year we do have to IP warm and we do have to consider how do we get ourselves ready for spring season. When you think about most businesses, they're leveraging the holiday season to sell their products. For us, we're just kind of in a, a, a different bubble where spring season is where the majority of our sales happen and when consumers are, are most engaged with our products and our content. Um, so for us, when we think about holiday season, that's really our off season. So November through January, usually the weather is colder in winter for the majority of our country. 
And then consumers are just, they're not really engaged with lawn care and outdoor gardening content. It's not something that's top of mind. They're thinking about holidays with their families. Um, so even sending information to the inbox during that time is, is challenging. Um, so in the past, what we have done, we've noticed if we go completely dark and we don't send anything from November through January, it's even harder to get warmed up for spring season. So what we've tried to do is still send content a little bit more on the lighter side, so to speak. Um, and what we, we like to call it as let's keep the lights on and off season because we don't have a lot of products that we have that we can sell or offer during that season. It's not top of mind, but if there's something that we could say just to, to stay in inboxes and keep ourselves warm in the off season, that will help us going into spring. Um, so late January and February is kind of the timing when we have to start heavily IP warming our email list and, and get people excited and thinking about spring. And, and naturally, that, that just kind of happens as the season changes. People go from kind of the cold, wintry blues to like, it's warming up. You can go outside. You can start to see sprouts of grass or flowers. Um, so the things that we focus on for our deliverability is one, like I just said, filling out the content gaps in off season. So we do have a few products that we can talk about, like Miracle Grow Christmas tree food. People do buy live Christmas trees. And this past season was, you know, we, I think we saw most people were buying Christmas trees more than usual. Um, live goods. So speaking of the live goods business, people are, have a lot of indoor plants. It's brought joy kind of in those wintry months or when we're all stuck at home, people have indoor plants, flowers they're taking care of. Um, and then when we start to move into the January, February timeframe, that's when we start to talk about the inspirational content, um, getting excited about the season. Uh, we like to say dreaming of lawn season, or even like when you think about the gardening side of things, um, garden planning is a thing. So getting ahead of what are the things you want to plan in your garden? Um, if you're a newbie and you haven't done a garden before? Um, where do you put your garden? What, what space do you work with? So there's a lot of planning that we kind of lean into that content. So that's kind of the content side of things of what we do just to keep ourselves kind of afloat in the off season. So the process of IP warming itself, when, when we start that in January, we usually start with looking at our list size of the most engaged folks. And we start with a very, very small amount so um, usually we start about 500 people, the most engaged on our list, and we double that number every day and, and send the same email every day for many weeks until we kind of get to that full volume list size. Um, and part of that process is monitoring uh, the inbox placement each day. We have a deliverability platform we use. Uh, we leverage eData Source. Um, we are always looking in Google Postmaster to monitor Gmail specifically, since that's one of our major email service providers. Um, and anytime we see like a little blip in the radar of oh, this one day had a 3% open rate. Let's check that, make sure it wasn't just a non-engaged group or if there's an issue and we need to start over. Um, and then the thing that we have to think about all year round is you should always have a clean list. Uh, always maintain that clean list. And we, when we say clean list, we define that as an active engaged list. And for every brand, that's probably different. Um, for us being a very seasonal business, 
we define active as 12 months because it's usually a 12 month cycle that a consumer is with us from one season to the next season. Um, and it just feels right. So we keep our list, our active list for those who have engaged with us within the past 12 months. And it's kind of this active list that's rotating nonstop. But other brands might want to keep that a little tighter and, and just have people who have engaged and, and been active with the email within six months. It just really depends on your brand. Um, and you'll know if there's an issue or not, if you're having lower open rates, lower click rates um, with, with your emails that you're sending out. But um, that's the one thing that I know for sure that sending to inactive consumers beyond a year, it's, it's definitely going to cause deliverability issues. So you want to avoid that. But I guess like a piece of advice that I would say, um, you know, I've been with Scott's for three years. We face the same de deliverability challenge every single year going into season. And we always see lower engagement in off season and in early season as we're IP warming. But we always recover once we hit springtime, March timeframe, and we start sending higher volume. Um, so I would say a piece of advice, it's one of those things where don't be alarmed or afraid to see dips in engagement throughout the year. It's pretty natural as your active list is ebbing and flowing. Um, but I would encourage you to always just monitor um, what you're doing throughout the year, just in case you see any major thing happen, like a 50% dip in open rates, just out of the blue. So there's a lot of pieces and parts at play of how we maintain deliverability in the inbox. Um, and some of it is specific to like the IP warming section in, and some of it is year round maintenance. So um, those are the strategies that, that we use as a business. Those are great tips. And, and, you know, you're right. I think, um, one thing that we've even learned about deliverability and IP warmup, it just takes time, right? And you want to make sure that you approach it very carefully. You don't want to do too much too soon because that could really risk some, you know, significant deliverability issues that makes it harder to come back from. So I loved your tip around maintaining a clean active list. I think so often marketers are so concerned about volume. They don't want to see the volume of their list decrease, but at the end of the day, it's about who's engaging with you and, and getting that placement will be more important with those that engage with you than it would be with an inactive list. So great, great advice there. Um, so wanted to talk a little bit too about just consumer data because there's been a lot of discussion, I think, you know, in marketing around segmentation and best practices for managing data, and then also leveraging data in the right way to really create personalized campaigns for your customers. And and hopefully reach new users as well. Would you be able to just kind of talk to us a little bit about personalization and maybe your um, ideation execution process there? Yeah. So when you think about your brand, you have to consider what are the most important data points on your consumers that you need to capture to effectively market to them. So for us in the lawn and garden brands and, and our industry, We've always collected zip codes at the point of acquisition so that all of our segmentation can be regionalized based on your different growing zone within the U.S. So thinking about if you're a person that lives in the deep southern states or you're a person that lives in the northern states, you know, when a consumer starts their lawn care and gardening, it's a completely different time. There could be a couple months in between when that timing starts and you want to be relevant to each individual and, and ensure that 
everybody on your list has um, success in what they're trying to do. So lawn and garden endeavors. So if we're not sending our messages at the appropriate time to the appropriate region, then we're not encouraging success for our uh, consumers. So that's one thing that we collect. Um, and then another thing that we tried to get creative on um, during the pandemic, I mentioned earlier, there was an influx of new subscribers into our database and we called them newbies because they were new to the lawn and garden space and they were looking for that tips and tricks of just how to get started in that space. Um, so they really wanted the, the basics. Um, so we built a segment of consumers who had joined our list starting during the pandemic last year. Um, and really we, we started to create new content that was really basic 101 lawn and gardening content um, to really encourage them to get out, outside and try to create their own outdoor oasis. So knowing that there were probably some people that came through that funnel that were also experts, um, we knew that there was just a lot of people in that, in that group that were newbies and everybody needs a refresher year after year. So the content was really valuable to anybody who is, is starting their, their gardening for the year or um, picking up on their lawn care, starting fresh for the spring season. So we were really able to kind of segment out our consumers who joined recently versus the, the loyalists who have been with our brand for many years. And then I'd say finally, one thing that we started to look at is how could we supplement our existing 1P data with third-party data, appended data to better focus our content to the appropriate audiences. So we worked with a third-party vendor called Axiom to bring in a few demographic and interest-based fields into our database uh, to append to our consumer records. A couple key data points that we selected to bring into our database um, were one, whether children or consumers had children in the household, and two, renters versus homeowners. So I'll kind of start with the children in the household, why we found that to be important. Uh, so I talked a little bit earlier about that trend, that content trend of like there were parents at home with their kids looking for things to do. And we started building out that outside adventure content uh, for consumers to do as an activity suggestion with kids. So having that data field allowed us to kind of separate out those folks that had children um, and message them the outdoor adventure content or the kids specific content, um, which was relevant to them instead of just blasting it to everyone. Um, another one, so renters and homeowners, why is that important to us? Well, again, thinking about our new, the newbies that had come into the category, uh, we had a combination of homeowners and renters who wanted to garden and participate. So how can we start to get creative in our content for someone who's a renter? Um, they might not have a yard, so they might not be able to build a garden. Um, so we started building out this small space gardening content for those who are renters. So you think about people who might have a balcony or a patio, or maybe they don't have either of those, but they are interested in indoor plants and an indoor herb container garden. So we were able to kind of cater to this new audience that kind of our previous content may not have worked for everybody in our, in our list. So segmenting that out, we were able to really just provide a different solution for the different groups of people. Those, those are great examples. And, you know, just as a follow-up to, to that, um, would love to kind of understand, you know, as you've experimented a lot in the last year and you've really changed 
I think your content strategy and added new segments, what would you say are some steps or stages for framing up an effective email marketing strategy this year with that in mind? So I, I kind of put together five thoughts on this and everything that I think is involved in this is relevance to the consumer. So staying relevant to the consumer with your brand. So number one, kind of to follow up with our last question, first off, if you have 1P data, whatever data you have, try to maximize the use of that for your segmentation. Anything that you have that's your data, like you use that to segment out your information, segment out your audience, and and that will provide better personalization. Two, um, make sure your marketing imagery and copy should reflect the current pandemic environment for your audience. So for us and our brands, things that we're doing, we're avoiding saying anything about family barbecues or neighborhood backyard gatherings, thinking about, you know, things still haven't opened up. So let's not talk about those things. Let's just talk about creating a backyard oasis at home. Um, Three, so follow your consumer's behavior. So if you specifically are a brand that sells direct to consumer, consider how you're incorporating your DTC messaging in your content plans. So the pandemic, we all know, opened up the doors to change the way that people shop for every single item in their home. That could be groceries to clothing. And we found also live plants. That was really important for us as a brand. People are buying their live plants online. So that's going to continue as consumers appreciate the convenience factor of just having it delivered to your door. So uh, one thing that we thought about was we should look at our transactional email flows. So think about refreshing that to ensure that everything from product fulfillment to delivery, everything is communicated out to the consumer because they're buying the stuff online and they wanna know when that package is getting delivered to them. Four, human to human messaging. So we've all been going through the pandemic together for over a year now. And one thing that I've noticed is there are a lot more people talking about kindness and empathy. So think about using that in your email and using that as part of your brand. Um, Many consumers are really just looking for ways to reduce stress and find balance in their lives. People are balancing work at home with having children at home. So if you're able to use your brand in the content that you're providing in email or whatever channel you're you're using, that you can provide inspiration, projects, or tips kind of related to your industry that can help consumers feel better, um, you know, bonus points for that. And then the last thing I feel like I have to bring up because you can't talk about email on a podcast without mentioning <laughs> testing. So test, test, test. Um, and, and, you know, you have to test year after year because things change. Everything has changed this past year. Consumer behavior is different. It shifts. So testing things from copy to your audience segmentation to the images you use Um, Even like the timing of when you send an email, people are at home all day now um, and they could be reading your email at a time of day that's different than when they were in the office. Um, Even promo values, what are the differences? What are people um, looking for more value or, or they will pay the extra amount just for the convenience factor? Those are all things that may have shifted this past year. So Definitely always recommend testing, and it's something that we have done to see where our consumer behaviors have changed um, to really understand what is working to drive conversion for your business. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think testing, unfortunately, um, you know, it's, it's kind of you have to do it right. And yes. um, <laughs> you make changes to segmentation or content. And, and you've made a lot of changes this year, which are, I think, for the better. And so um, I love the idea of what you said, even around the human to human messaging. I think that's just so important. And it helps also differentiate you as a brand and um, give your brand a little bit of a story. So I think those are some great tips that a lot of marketers would be able to learn from. Um, so before we we wrap this up, you know, wanted to take some time to talk about uh, the Super Bowl campaign that you mentioned a little earlier. Obviously, the Super Bowl huge event over here in in the states. Would you be able to just describe that program for us and talk us through the the thought process there and um, you know anything you want to share in terms of some of the achievements that you saw from the campaign? Yeah, absolutely. So it was it was awesome to be able to work on uh, the Super Bowl commercial this past year. Um, it was just like a dream come true to be able to be on this large marketing stage this past year. So this was our first year running the Super Bowl commercial at Scott's, and the timing just felt right. It was a year after our we had a great flourishing year, uh, a year of success. And we wanted to encourage consumers to get outside and keep growing for another season. So this was really, the timing was perfect. It was in February, right before we were going into our spring season. And we really wanted to celebrate the backyard and everything it has to offer by creating a sweepstakes where 42 lucky consumers had a chance to win the lawn and garden of their dreams. So each winner in this sweepstakes could win a virtual backyard consultation with an HDTV celebrity, uh, $15,000 to spend on creating their dream outdoor space. So this campaign was in part a brand building exercise as well as a sweepstakes to collect 1P data and launch our SMS program. So you can imagine CRM is a pretty large component of this campaign. So the sweepstakes ran from, um, it ran six weeks from January 26th through March 20th. Um, and the largest marketing piece of the campaign happened during the 45 second Super Bowl commercial spot. Um, so a consumer could enter the sweepstakes in multiple ways. Um, and really there was a sweepstakes landing page where they would enter their information to try to win this prize. Um, so they could enter that landing page through media ads, links on our websites, or during the commercial, there was a phone number that a, a consumer could text to get a link back in response to go to the sweeps landing page. So for me, my part, I was responsible for the data collection, setting up the SMS program, and building out welcome journeys for consumers who entered the sweepstakes. I worked pretty closely across multiple cross-functional teams, including user experience, web, tech, and our consumer services. Um, so on the CRM side of things, there were multiple steps I kind of had to go through uh, for this work stream. And so my first thing that I, I brought up is like, what are the data points we need collected for our sweepstakes? And that was zip code. That was the person's email address. We needed their phone number. So the basics. Um, and then setting up the tech to get that data automatically into our CRM platform for to be able to send like immediate welcome responses to these new consumers. So I had to set up an SMS, an email welcome journey. Um, but then there was the consideration of load capacity. You think about who's watching the commercial. There's 100 million people watching. Um, you don't know how many people are going to come through the sweeps at one time. So being able to 
We talked about IP warming earlier, being warmed up enough to send all those welcome emails all at one time when we were we would have an influx of um, entrants. So uh, we did have to also think about our IP warming strategy. It was a little bit different this season and it was a little bit more robust and we had to start sooner. So we had to be at full capacity, full volume on game day, which was February 7th. Um, and so this meant making sure we had off-season content that we were sending starting really right after Christmas all the way through the month of January so that our domain would be warm enough to send that high number of welcome emails on game day. So we were under this incredibly tight deadline of less than eight weeks to execute the entire campaign from when we bought the Super Bowl commercial spot. So everyone working on the campaign, it just, I mean, I kind of have goosebumps thinking about it, but like we were all run, running on adrenaline just to get to the finish line and get this up and running. There was, this was, this was at a scale that we had never done before. So I think like the most unknown factor that we kept thinking about was, you know, the load capacity could, could our, our sweepstakes landing page and our email automations withstand the capacity of entries during the game. So like we had some rough estimates about how many sweeps to expect, sweeps, sweepstakes entrance to expect, but it was still very broad of like, oh, a few thousand to millions, you know, we're thinking, we're talking about a hundred million people watching this all at the same time. So um, I just remember game night, you know, we were all watching the the Super Bowl football game together um, and the commercial came on live. We were all on Zoom together and we all were just like holding our breath as we were monitoring everything and how it was working. And we saw the sweepstakes entries were being collected, email addresses and phone numbers that had opted in. They were sending automatically to our consumer data platform. Our welcome emails, the SMS messages, they were all triggering properly as they should be when they were queued up. Um, and then after 20 minutes, like the influx of entries had kind of started to slow down and we were all like, oh my gosh, it's done. We we did it. And, and we were all cheering because we just pretty much pulled off one of the largest marketing campaigns in our brand's history and, and pretty much a record time. So it was, it was such an achievement and... Um, it, everything really just went, went went off like went perfectly off without a hitch. There wasn't any issues, um, and we had, we saw great results. So overall, when we kind of looked at the campaign once it had ended, we saw a total twenty five percent increase in our overall email database size. So this in itself, you know, we talked about deliverability earlier. This was a major risk because having this many co new consumers enter your database at one time has the potential to impact your deliverability. And right at a time that was right before our prime selling season. So we were really slow and careful to send emails to this new group, the, the new subscribers, to ensure that they were quality leads and there weren't any deliverability issues um, as we were going into season. And then on the SMS front, you know, we started an SMS program from this campaign um, and we had over 300,000 consumers opt in on the sweepstakes landing page um, for SMS communications. So we have in this time period, since, since the game has ended, we've really built up our SMS program by creating a a new channel and content strategy. We're testing. Uh, we're learning what messaging and timing works best for our brands. 
um, to really have the highest engagement for our consumers. So definitely, uh, definitely something that I've, I'm very proud of and a project that I was very excited to work on. Um, but it, it was a great campaign and I, I love to talk about it. So it was good. I love it. That's such a great story. And it, it's funny because I can just imagine you and your team holding your breath once the commercial airs and just checking your platforms and, and making sure everything's going to plan. I'm so glad it did. Um, it sounds like it was a very successful campaign for you. And, you know, I think too, um, it's a great example of how email is part of this larger omni-channel strategy, right? You're, you're using email in an effective way um, as you're using the website, as you're using SMS, and of course, having the TV uh, promotion as well. So awesome job, great campaign. I hope to see more commercials from you during the Super Bowl. Uh, I will be looking out this year for sure. Um, so, you know, just to kind of start to wrap up, wanted to just ask some rapid fire questions. These are definitely more on the fun side, um, but still it would be great to, to kind of uh, hear some of your thoughts here. So for any of our gardeners on the phone um, or on the computer or you know wherever they're watching this from, can you share any tips or secrets for growing a green thumb? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I will say I didn't know very much about gardening or lawn care when I started at Scott's. Um, I didn't even have one live plant, so kind of embarrassing, but it's something that I learned very quickly. Um, I didn't know much about taking care of a lawn or what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and so when thinking about gardening, it's challenging and intimidating. Um, I would say first stop, if you are a newbie, don't get overwhelmed. Everything's okay. And it's okay if you fail. Sometimes you fail, just try again. Um, there are different ways to start growing your garden. Uh, starting from seed is very challenging. So recommend starting from a starter plant. So going to your local nursery um, to find kind of those starter plants if you're looking to grow a veggie um, garden or if you're looking to just grow some flowers to add some color to your space. Um, that's a good place to start with existing plants rather than growing from seeds. Um, and then like the other things, start out small. Don't take on this major project of, I'm going to start by building out this huge garden in my backyard um, with all of these different plants. That's usually the, the part that doesn't work. It's, it's always start with something small, start with one or two plants, and even starting with something that maybe just in containers. So kind of like what I mentioned earlier, um, if you're a person who's into herbs, um, starting an herb garden that could be indoor or outdoor. Um, and you can use that kind of for your refreshments, whether that's, you know, your appetizers, your, your, your um, having and making at home, or if you are making any type of like specialty drinks, you can add in some mint or some flavor with herbs. So that's what I recommend starting with. Um, and don't get discouraged if you fail or one of your plants died. I think everybody who has ever started a garden has had that happen to them. And it just means you need to try again. I love it. Those are some great tips for the newbies out there. Um, and so what would you say in terms of email marketing, what really draws you to email marketing in the digital space? 
Um, so email is so challenging in, in so many different ways. And I think I, I really am one of those people that like a challenge. But um, the thing that's really great is you have the opportunity to talk to consumers directly in the email channel. So you you kind of have that personal one-on-one contact with consumers. Um, it's also like you had mentioned, it's a channel that it, it, it touches all other channels. I mean, you think about syncing up with social, you think about uh, linking out to your websites. Um, you really can't just have email working in tandem by itself. You have to have it working with other channels. Um, and so just the, just the cross-channel involvement that email has, um, I really like that. I like to be able to work across a bunch of digital teams. Um, so I, I guess it's just, I like the challenge of it. And I like that you really can go and learn about all of the different things just by starting in email. So you can learn all about how web works by working in email because there's the technical pieces that are involved in a website to build an email. Um, and same with just like content. Content is a major, major piece of email. I think like the there's like the creative side and then there is the technical side of email. So you really get to use the both, both of those um, sides and it's the best of both worlds. So um, I feel like you get to use your left and right brain for, for email. Those are, those are some great, uh, some great reasons. And I completely agree. Um, so just to close it out, would love to just hear if you have an email marketing tip or, you know, an emerging trend that you'd like to share with our audience today. Um, all right. So for a tip, one thing that I suggest is trying to use weather as a trigger for your marketing message. This is something that we have used and it's been core to our industry. So we see a lot higher engagement and purchases being made in early spring when the weather is just starting to warm up. We see kind of the opposite on rainy days. Um, I think that there are some food delivery companies like Uber or DoorDash that lean into the same kind of weather, sending messages on, you know, maybe a rainy evening, like who doesn't want to order in when it's raining out and you just want to sit on your couch and kind of like wait for that food to, to get to your door. So if you can use weather as, as a trigger for when you're sending out a message, um, it's definitely something to consider for your business. And then um, an emerging trend. So this might not be an emerging trend for this year, but something that I noticed that has been kind of a turnkey solution as DTC sales have really just skyrocketed this past year. Um, there's been like a lot of challenges with keeping product in stock when you think about the pandemic. I mean, back in the day, like bike, bicycles, no, no company could keep bikes in stock. Toilet paper, there was a huge <laughs> problem with toilet paper staying in stock. So having these issues with things being in stock online, um, there, it it's, wasn't just for one business. A lot of businesses face that. So one CRM strategy that we use to kind of help with that issue is we set up this notify me CTA that we placed on our out of stock items. And so consumers, when they got to that product, they could click the button and provide their email address to be notified um, via email automatically when that product was back in stock. So not only did we have a lot of online shoppers use this function, but they had a great experience because they were able to buy that product shortly after being notified when it was available. So that drove more sales for us. 
I love that. I love the notify me CTA as well. And, you know, it's funny, I think I've seen a couple other brands since using that, but it's, it is just so important, right? Because what you don't want to do is have someone come to your website or come to your app and try to buy something and then not be able to and go somewhere else. So I, I love that yep. as a way of, you know, encouraging them to, to stick with you and, and to come back. Um, well, yeah, I just wanted to end it there. That's all the time we have for today. It was so great to have you join us, Amanda. I think some of the insights you shared are certainly valuable to our audience. And it was just great to chat with you. So thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me today. Really appreciate it.